Good morning. Lovely to be with you on a sunny Sunday morning, coming to you from the south side of Edinburgh. And I've really been enjoying going through this big story of God's Word. I don't know about you. And um, it's quite a few years since I first was helped to think about an overview of the whole Bible. And it's been transformative for me. Um, I had knowledge of different bits and different stories before, but um, it, the Bible overview gave me this understanding of purpose and of place, so that whenever I open it, I have much more confidence of what is actually going on. But it, it's also really helped me to build my confidence in who God is, that I don't just stay in my favourite parts of the Bible that speak about God in the way that I want him to be all of the time. But instead, when I read the whole of the Bible, I get to see the whole of who God is, bigger than I could ever imagine, unchanging, and not conform to my image or criteria. Um, and so today we're coming to a short story from a small book in the Bible, and we've jumped quite a few years from where we were last week. So what we're going to do is we're going to read today's story, and then I'll help you to understand how we get to here from where we were last time. So we're going to read from the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, and the words should come up for us here below. So Ruth 1, chapters 1 to 18. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they'd lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husband? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. As they wept aloud again, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Luke said, Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. 
May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So such a beautiful but heart-wrenching story. An ordinary family, ordinary people living their village life with the kinds of joys and sorrows that many face. So how did we get here from where we left off last time with that really grand story with Moses and the people of Israel? So God had given the people a land called Canaan to live in and Joshua led them there after Moses died. But they never actually got to live in the whole of the land in the way that God intended them to. So they divided up what they did have and the 12 tribes of Israel had to learn to live well alongside one another, but also alongside the people that were still living in the land. Um, and after Joshua died, the people of Israel started to get themselves in a pretty terrible mess. They were worshipping idols, they were ignoring God, and at the very best, they were diluting God with everything else that was on offer around them, particularly from these other nations that were living in the land. And so they experienced judgment and defeat by their enemies, like God had told them would happen. And so they cry out to ask God for help, and he gives them a judge to rule over them, to bring peace to help them to know what God is like. And peace would come, but never for long. Because many, in part, because many of these judges were flawed. And the last thing we read before we come to this little book of Ruth are these words. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. A whole nation in a proper mess. So God's people should have been living peacefully in God's land, enjoying his presence, enjoying his blessing. But instead, they're stuck in this cycle of disobedience where they end up crying out to God for help, being freed from their struggle, and then using their freedom to turn their backs on God again. And it's in such beautiful contrast that we happen upon this little story of a family who are broken, but they're determining to live in response to God's faithfulness. So Elimelech and his family left Canaan because of famine. This land that should have been flowing with milk and honey has run dry because of the judgment the people had brought on themselves. And the writer doesn't make any comment on the wisdom of this move from Canaan to Moab, but we can figure out it wasn't such a great move because Elimelech dies and sometime later his two sons die too. And three women are left unprotected, without provision or inheritance. And then word comes to Naomi that things have improved back in Canaan and she tries to persuade her daughters-in-law to return to their families where they could start over and then she could return to her home to start over there too. And it's a huge dilemma for the two younger women, choosing between their love of Naomi and their hope of motherhood. Because as Moabite women, they're really unlikely to find husbands when they go to live amongst the Israelite people. Neither of them are for going home. They journey with Naomi for a while, but eventually Orpah concedes. These are massive events for the characters of this family. But why are they important for us today? Well, there are a few things that we could look at that would help us to see the importance of this story. 
We could look into all the detail that we're given about people's names. They seem to be of really high interest to the writer as characters walk into or away from the meanings of their names. To know somebody's name was to really know them. Yahweh was God revealing himself to people through his name. But we're not going to dig into the names today any more than the writer's already given us. We could tell the rest of the story. That would be a lovely thing to look at all four chapters of Ruth. Maybe you'll get to do that later. And you'd discover that we come, spoiler alert, to a really happy ending. Back in Bethlehem, under Naomi's care, Ruth meets Boaz. He takes responsibility for the women. And then he marries, marries Ruth, demonstrating kindness and commitment in all of his actions. Ruth and Boaz have a baby called Obed, who grows up to have a son called Jesse, who in time has a son called David, who becomes the king of all of Israel. And hundreds of years later, Jesus is born to their descendants. Ruth, a non-Jew, becomes part of the line of Jesus, a line of faith, not of blood. Amazing. A line that we are invited into. But that's not what I've been asked to look at today. You have to take time to dig into that yourself. Do you know, we could even talk today about mothers-in-law, but I don't think we'll do that either. We're going to linger just a little bit longer um, on a, a, just a simple word that's used to demonstrate the love that's being shown and spoken in this story. And the yes that Naomi and Ruth give in response. You see, Naomi, in all of her sorrow, is trusting God to provide for her. There's no pretending with Naomi, no hiding from God. She's been grieving, but she's still trusting. She's kept alive the memory of God's help, and she's determined to build again for a new life in the future. In verse 8, she blesses the two women, um, saying, May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead and to me. The word kindness is the original Hebrew word hesed. It's a richer, deeper word for love than the English language has, where the love I have for my duvet is the same word as the love I have for my children or my God. Hesed love is a steadfast, rock-solid faithfulness which endures to eternity. It persists beyond any sin or betrayal to mend brokenness and generously extend forgiveness. To love as God loves with complete undeserved kindness and generosity. It's not just a feeling, it's an action too. It intervenes on behalf of loved ones and comes to their rescue. It's about the security that faithfulness brings, the safety of commitment. God delights to love in this way. And he calls us to love him and others with that exact same love that we've received from him. The love that Naomi commits to Ruth and to Orpah. And that's what Ruth speaks back to Naomi in verses 16 and 17 of this chapter. Utter loyalty 
and selfless devotion when she says, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. She pledges to share Naomi's future, her travel, her home, her faith, her God, not just words, but action too. Presence, faithfulness, in life and for life, into the unfamiliar as a Gentile in a foreign land, into the unknown without a guarantee of security. This full and free, selfless and lavishly generous love is how God loves. It's how Jesus loved in his life and by his death. And Naomi, in her grief, has loved Ruth with a kind and faithful love which has changed Ruth. God's love changes us. Hesed love changes people. And so the relationship that Ruth has with Naomi and Naomi's God causes Ruth to choose to take responsibility for Naomi. When we receive this kind, undeserved love of God, it's for giving away to other people. Remember Abraham all those weeks ago, I think it was Odell, that helped us to see that as God blesses us, we're to take that blessing, enjoy it, receive it, and pass it on to others so that they would get to know how good and kind and generous God is and how much he loves them too. And it's only in living in that constant reality of this love of God that helps us to keep on loving others. Otherwise, we run dry. We're not able to do it or we try to do it in our own strength. The word commitment is lacking life for us without God's love coming to us first and calling us to live into commitment, loving people for the long haul, loving people, loving church, loving communities. It's challenging, but it's what God asks of us. I do know that for some of us, there might be a really good reason just now that life feels quite temporary. We're maybe at a stage of life where jobs and people are pretty transient. Maybe there's been a lot of change and a lot of stuff has come to us. And we don't feel like we know who or how or what to commit to. Maybe we don't own a home. Maybe things are not in our control. And we need to be really careful that the temporary approach to life that those things can bring doesn't leave us being committed to very little or to no one. We choose to respond to God and to the people and things that he has for us with commitment and to keep loving. So how do we keep loving for the long haul, in the good and in the hard? Well, for those of us that do have the opportunity to see the people and the places where God would have us, where we, can, where we know some of those things and can see some of the opportunities there are, what does it look like for us to dig in? John Stott, um, the great 20th century church leader, was asked for advice on witnessing to his community. And he said, 
never move house. Now, for you, that might mean never give up on people. But for me, some of it literally is about not moving house. We've lived where we lived for about 12 years now, and there's only two houses in our part of where we live that have changed hands in that time. So nearly everybody else has been here for longer than us, and I know that that's unusual. That's not everybody's situation. But it definitely took a long time to be trusted, to get below the surface with people, to become good friends and not just neighbours. And if I'm honest, the biggest barrier in the early days was that I didn't really want to be here. I wanted to live somewhere else. I wanted to be somewhere more central, somewhere more, more interesting. My heart wasn't ready to love people. My prayers weren't asking God to help me love people. And my actions weren't moving me towards people. But God shifted my perspective to show me how much he loved me and how much he loved my neighbours and how he wanted me to demonstrate that love to them. And so we look to love people wherever we can, in whatever way we can. It might be the same at work. If we have to move jobs, we continue to love people. We commit to love people who've responded positively to the love that we've shown them in the time that we've worked together or the people that we've been at school with, studied with, past basic times of life together with how do we continue to love for the long haul this might make love sound like a limiting thing because it's about obligation but I don't think this love is a limiting thing at all look at Ruth her commitment to Naomi is causing her to risk so much to go in this new direction because commitment is about saying yes to God first. Yes, in all kinds of ways, with our heart and with our life, to go where God would take us to love the people he has for us. Saying yes to God is a risk. We might risk being rejected. We might risk looking stupid. We'll be asked to bring Jesus-style love to people that won't always be the popular and the attractive. But I can absolutely guarantee you it sure as anything will not be dull. Our lives, when we say yes to God, will be full of purpose, full of love, full of God. We've come through a season in these last months where we've had to say no to so many things, to stay safe and to do what's being asked of us. Maybe you are today cosy in your home. And you've no intention of changing that anytime soon. Maybe we're afraid of saying yes to very much, even going to a cafe or a pub or meeting up with friends. But I wonder that now is the time to be sure that we're ready to say yes, first and foremost, to God himself. That fear won't stop us saying yes to him and the loving that he calls us to. Because God has said yes to us first, yes to loving us, yes to forgiving us, yes to going with us into every part of our lives, whenever we ask, however we pray, he comes with us. So like Naomi, we might be coming out of a tough, tough season and have many reasons to stay safe. Or like Ruth, 
we might have no idea what saying yes is really going to lead us into. But God is loving us with a steadfast, faithful love, committing to us, walking with us, providing for us. He's never going to leave us. Let's say yes to him today. Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Lord, we choose to bring our yes to you this morning, whether for the first time or the hundredth time. We say yes to your love and we receive it again this morning. Maybe you want to put out your hand as a sign of receiving every good thing that God has for you. We thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, that you say yes to forgiving us. And we receive your forgiveness just now, wherever we need to know it. Lord, we receive your presence. We say yes to your presence with us here, now, where we are. And to go with us to wherever you'll take us. Lord, we ask you to give us wisdom about shaping our no what we have to say no to in order to say yes to you. Lord, we want to speak, make space for a yes to you. So help us to know what to say no to. And Lord, we ask you for courage to keep saying yes. When it gets hard, when we start to run dry, when we forget, give us courage, bring us back to receive from you again, that we might be filled and overflow wherever you would take us today, this week, with the rest of our lives. Lord, we say yes to you. Amen. <laughs>